0: A high end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look. Be your own interior designer with big design, small budget. Here's your host, Betsy Helmuth. These past few weeks of focusing on feng shui have given me a newfound enthusiasm for the art form. I love feng shui. I truly believe it can transform your home and transform your life. I have felt it, I've experienced it, I found my husband through feng shui, I've cleared a lot of blockages through feng shui, and I have been so excited to not only share my personal experiences, but also to share some new things I am learning. So today we are going to wrap it up with part 4, feng shui potpourri. I'm Betsy Helmuth, this is Big Design Small Budget, and I can't wait to share my final feng shui thoughts with you. So let's start it off with a general. In fact, today is going to be all about general. Just little tids and bits that I wasn't able to share with you before because they didn't fit into that larger subject matter of each episode. So first things first, I truly believe in keeping your toilet lid down and your bathroom door closed. According to Feng Shui, water is correlated with wealth. So symbolically, every time we flush, we're flushing away our wealth. But having that bathroom door open and the toilet lid open just causes even more wealth to go right down. Not only the drains, but also the toilet. So keep those things closed, not only because it's not something I want my guests to see when they walk in, but also because, ugh, gotta hang on to that wealth. Now let's talk about something that I am a huge proponent of huge. I am a huge proponent of space cleansing. It's called space cleansing, space clearing, it's called smudging, and it transcends feng shui. There are a lot of different cultures who use this technique. But I think it is so important. In fact, whenever I have a big change in my life, when I'm moving to a new space, when I'm opening a new office, after I've had a negative confrontation with someone, after I've finished a project that was overwhelming, depleting, I want to shift the energy in my space. I want to shift and clear whatever was there before so that I can Either start a new project, or have a new feeling in the space, or reclaim the space as mine. So I will burn sage. That's my favorite thing to do to clear the air. But you can do more than just burning sage or say burning sage isn't your bag. The other thing that can be fun to do is to mix essential oil of orange with water and spray it around your space. Now I'm a little leery of this one. I love the smell of orange and that sounds totally invigorating and uplifting to me. It sounds even better than filling my home with the smoke from a dry sage stick. But I worry about staining fabrics with orange oil mixed with water. Is anybody else worried about that? I brought that up with our resident feng shui practitioner, Carlene Jinjulis and she said it's not a big problem. But for some reason, it's just giving me pause, and I think it would make me uncomfortable. But if you guys have experience, feel free to email me, because I think I would rather do that than burning the sage, quite frankly, because the smoke can get so intense that I have to open the doors and also... It does smell a little bit funny. So I went into a client's space the other day and he had just finished burning sage per my recommendation. He wanted to burn it before I came over so that way I would be seeing a beautiful cleansed space, which I thought was a great idea. Let me just put that out there. But it actually smelled like he'd been smoking up. I was like, has there been some pot smoking going on? No judgment. No judgment. Just wondering before we met. So, uh, So it does have a fragrance that is somewhat questionable. So just know that, and maybe you're you're going to be more drawn to that orange oil experience. But Carlene told me something else I could do, which was very interesting to me, and I think I might switch my sage to a bell. So if you get a bell, and I've been reading about bells online, and ideally the ohm bell versus just any kind of bell, because I think the ohm bell... I don't know what makes it different but uh but I think I might prefer that sound to like tinkle 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 but the om bell if you go around the space ringing the bell with the intention I really think that that sound could help me feel clearer as well without the smoke and without the potential stains of orange oil. So that is something I'm going to try because like I said, I regularly cleanse my space when I'm shifting over seasons at my storefront. I just went from Uh, winter to spring, and I did a whole new sage-burning technique. I even put the sage stick outside the front door so that it could cleanse the energy coming in. I'm just such a huge fan. And the exciting thing about creating a cleansing ritual for yourself is that you can really set an intention. I now walk into the space more powerful. I know exactly why I'm here. I know exactly what this space is supposed to do because I set that intention each season for what I'm wanting in and around my space. So give it a whirl, but let's try the bell, shall we? The other thing that you want to do, whether it's your office or your home, is to maintain a visible address. So if that means having your apartment number clearly labeled on your front door, if that means taking your number off just your mailbox at your home and instead putting it right next to your front door, or even on your office. Like my storefront doesn't actually have a visible number and I am going to change that this week. So make sure that you have that number quite visible. So that way good energy can find you. And also your front door is very important, which I know we touched on before in terms of success and prosperity, having that great front door that allows for that good energy to come in. But the other thing that you want to do, because a lot of my clients use secondary doors. They use doors to come through the garage or they use the mudroom door. But you do want to open and shut the front door even if you're not going to use it almost every day. Because that front door is where wealth and good fortune come into your home. So that's where all that good energy is just stirring and circulating so you want to at least open and shut it even if you're not going to come in it every day so that you get that most potent energy infiltrating your home the other thing that brings in good energy are fresh cut flowers and don't i know it I now live fairly close to a Trader Joe's because I have always been very uh, against buying fresh flowers due to the cost and the fact that they just don't last that long. So it's been more depressing for me to get fresh flowers, watch them die after I spend an excessive amount of money on them, than it has been uplifting. But now that I live close to Trader Joe's and have access to really affordable, fresh cut flowers, I've been buying them every week for myself and it is an amazing feeling from $4 tulips to $3 filler flowers. I mean, it doesn't matter. I'm just loving kind of being decadent and giving myself this special treat each week. But you do want to choose flowers that don't have thorns because thorny stems stop good chi. So focus on flowers that feel soft, flowers with smooth stems because they will bring in the best energy. So I've heard a lot of things as we segue and talk about more good fortune with feng shui about horseshoes. But I was never sure if you're going to hang a horseshoe above your front door, which they say to do for good luck. I wasn't sure if you hang it so that it makes a U going upwards or a U going downwards. And so I was reading things online to determine what would bring the most good luck and good energy. And I think it's 50-50. They say point the horseshoe upward so that the luck won't run out or fall out. But then I read point the horseshoe downward, so that way the good fortune will fall on you as you enter the space. I don't know. Upward sounds best to me, because I just don't love the idea of something falling on me. But let me know. Have you guys heard something more than this 50-50 thing because uh, I found equal parts each way. And I'd really love to know the definitive answer because I have a horseshoe that's begging to be hung. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. Do you love this podcast? Do you wish you could learn even more? Well, we have an online class bundle. is only have images of things that uplift you or feel like prosperity and success to you. My mother is really drawn to the Potato Eaters by Van Gogh. And I don't know if you know that picture. But it is this very poor family sitting around a table looking super depressed. And it's very dark. The painting just has very little light in it so that everybody looks quite shaded and quite bleak. And they're huddled around this bowl of potatoes during the famine, looking emaciated and uh, rather destitute. And she really wanted this picture one Mother's Day. And so I got it for her. I had it framed, and it's really her pride and joy. And it's front and center in her home, right above her dining table. And I'm really thinking that that is problematic in a lot of ways. Now, I know the picture is what it evokes to you. Like, having a picture of a Porsche in my office really wouldn't do it for me. Even though that symbolizes success for other people, for me, it's just not what I equate with being successful for myself, nor is it something I want for myself. I might have a 57 Chevy instead or something like that. So… Beauty and message is in the eye of the beholder and maybe she looks at the potato eaters and doesn't see destitution, famine, and extreme poverty. But, uh, but I definitely do. And I'm not sure how many other messages you could take from that. I'm not sure what other messages Van Gogh wanted you to take from that. I'll post a picture of it on our website, BigDesignSmallBudgetPodcast.com. So I'm thinking, you know, of the pictures around my house and what messages they're sending to me and i just think that's so powerful because i usually pick art because it makes me feel good or because it matches my color palette but now i'm gonna really start picking art for its messages and i was looking around my office because i'm recording live at our storefront today and i'm looking here and The good thing is I have images that are really inspiring, images of New York City, images of people being successful and walking around on the pavement. I actually have photography by Monica Schulman. I will post her website on my podcast page as well because she is one of my favorite artists and I love her work and it's so affordable and the pictures of New York City are super inspiring. But anyway... Think about what images you're surrounding yourself with and what messages they're giving to you. And if you want more luck, more prosperity, more wealth, make sure that your pictures signify that. In my case, I want happiness and friendliness and family focus in my home. And so I'm just going to double check around my space and make sure that the images I hang evoke that. And I thought it was a really good reminder when I was breezing through my feng shui books and online pages. The other thing that you want to do in order to help draw more luck to your space and just have things feel better in general is to fix things that are broken. And I know it sounds like a no brainer, but they can really be blockages for you in your life. If something's low on batteries, if a light bulb is burnt out, this is something that immediately needs to be addressed. I put it on the top of my priority list, even though it seems like a small thing, but I really feel like that broken energy is a real signifier of something going wrong in a larger picture. So I try always to immediately remedy these small things that may seem like just little annoyances because I do think that they can be symbols of larger problems. So put some WD-40 on those squeaky doors. Change out the light bulb on that vanity strip above your bathroom mirror. Think about these things so that way your life can have a little bit of a better flow to it. I was also reading this tip, which I thought was interesting because it is not something that I do consciously, but now I will. It's saying to use all four burners on your stove equally because the four burners, the stove is a very important component in feng shui, like it has so much meaning imbued with it. You really have to look it up because it's a little overwhelming how much the stove signifies in this art form. But um. But just to sum it up quickly each burner is an avenue of prosperity so if they're not all being used it represents areas of prosperity in your life that you're not focusing on or reaping the rewards from so now i'm going to consciously use all four burners so i'm going to start rotating and switching things up now if you remember my episode feng shui for wealth you will remember that carlene our resident feng shui practitioner told me something that changed the entire way I think about feng shui and that let me know that I've been doing feng shui wrong all these years. And basically what she said was that no matter what remedy or cure you put in place, you have to do so with intention. And I thought that was really good. For some reason that really sparked something in me. I just haven't been Placing things with intention. I've been buying the right plant that I'm supposed to buy. I've been putting it in the right corner that's supposed to signify prosperity. It's been growing. But I didn't imbue it with that from the start. I wasn't at IKEA saying, hello plant. Are you the plant that's going to bring me success, wealth, and prosperity? Come home with me. So I was reading some more about feng shui online. And there was this three-step process to reinforcing your feng shui intentions and I thought it was really good. So I'm basically just taking this a step further than what Carleen had told me about creating intention and now I'm going to use these three steps every time I'm choosing or working on a feng shui cure. The first step is of course to take action. So let's just say I was going to buy a money plant for my office, which I really need to do, by the way, and I'm going to try and do this week. So let's say I really need to buy a feng shui plant, um, a money tree, for my office to bring in prosperity. Well, first, I'm going to go to Ikea or Lowe's or Home Depot, and I'm going to be actively looking for that plant. So I'm going to take action. Step one. Step two. I'm going to verbalize my intention. So when I pick up the plant, I'm going to say, plant, you are coming with me to my storefront to bring prosperity. When I walk in my storefront and put it in its spot, I'm going to say, spot, plant, here we go. You are in this place to activate success. And then what I'm going to do after I've taken action, spoken my intention, the third thing I'm going to do is I'm going to envision the outcome. So what will that feel like, what will that look like, how high will this plant be and where will I be in my storefront? Who else will be here with me? What will be happening? Will the phones be ringing? So I'm going to really envision all of that and do each step with each cure that I'm creating, whether it be ringing a bell and me walking around the space, verbalizing my intention for you know a new beginning, a fresh outlook. Uh, and then also envisioning as I'm walking around the space what that new beginning will look like. So anyway, I just thought that that was a powerful way to really make sure that I'm activating that intention with these three particular steps. Hopefully that helps you too because I really believe that no matter which one of these episodes you got your takeaways from, this three-step Reinforcement of intention can go a really long way in helping that vision come to life. So, there we go, guys. There we go. I love feng shui. And I really think that there's been some powerful techniques that not only I've been reminded of during this four part series, but also that I've learned about. And I am going out. I am getting the bell. I'm getting the money plant. It is happening. I am taking action this week. And I hope that you are too. So now it's time for some listener emails. And my first email is a doozy. Into the old mailbag. So my first email comes from Jonathan. Dear Betsy, first I wanted to say that I love your podcast and look forward to it each week. Every episode is so full of so much useful information that I find myself hitting pause and taking notes down for later. Thank you for sharing your expert advice. Second, I had a question. How do you refine your taste? I'm afraid mine is gaudy and loud at best and tacky or non-existent at worst. I love bright colors like Chinese red, Tiffany blue, and flamingo pink. I like shiny yellow gold or glossy lacquer finishes. Mirrors, crystals, furry throws, and animal prints bring me joy. Am I doomed? How can I make my taste more sophisticated and still be me? Thanks, Jonathan. So this is such a funny question, Jonathan, and not because of your funny design taste, which I happen to embrace. I love things that are a little over the top. And in my past, I used to be quite fond of theme rooms. I have toned that down and I'll tell you how here shortly. But the reason that I find it to be quite funny is because when I was designing my own place, I have a tendency to have too much fun as well. I find it very easy to design for my clients because I ask them a lot of questions ahead of time so I get to know their design style, their personal tastes, and then I just reflect back to them what I see. So I in no way bring my tastes into the equation in terms of what I would personally pick for myself. I pick things that I love for them. I liken it to painting a still life because I started my career as a painter if I was painting a bowl of fruit, I wouldn't just paint whatever I want. I would look at the bowl of fruit and I would reflect back the things that I see that are beautiful in that fruit. So maybe I would be most moved by how much light dances off the peel. Or maybe I would be most moved by how intricate the details are of this broken, brown stem, and I would really reflect that back, but I'm taking all my inspiration from what's before me, which are the apples. So that's what I do with my clients. I look at them, who they are, what makes them tick, and I take my favorite parts, the parts that I think are really going to make a lovely aesthetic, and I reflect that back to them. But in my own life, I love color. I love print. I love going a little over the top. And that is not always sophisticated. So you've probably listened to my style episode since you're such a huge fan. But basically, I have my two-word phrase. My first word is the style that I want to have in the space. Be it mid-century, be it traditional, be it glam, be it bohemian. And the second word is how I want to feel in the space. I want to feel cozy. I want to feel... Upbeat. I want to feel restful. I want to feel spectacular. I want to feel successful. I want to feel what do you want people to feel? And uh, And so in my home, my first word is mid-century because I really love that style. I love the cone legs, I love the sleek lines, I love that it's not overstepped or bulky. And then my second word was family-friendly because I really wanted it to be a space where people felt like they could put their feet up, people feel like they could eat some goldfish crackers, people feel like if their kid accidentally bumps into my sofa, it's not the end of the world. But then the third word I always add is sophisticated. So when I'm shopping for something, I ask myself, is it one of the two words? Either family friendly or mid-century modern. But then I ask myself, is it sophisticated? It's my final check. Because I have a problem with that as well. I don't always have the most sophisticated vision. So when I'm shopping for something, is it mid-century modern? Is it family friendly? If it's yes to one of those, the last check is, is it sophisticated? And I struggled with this in my own home because I was just really like a kid in a candy store and the world was my oyster and I was just wanting everything that I saw that was mid-century and it didn't necessarily go together well. So I had one of the designers on my team look through my stuff. She has a very sophisticated point of view. And tell me, is this over the top? Is this too loud? How is this feeling for you? Um, So if you know someone whose style you admire, like I admired Rachel's on my team, you may want to have them just peruse your choices and tone it down a little bit. Because she was a huge help in saying, Betsy, whoa, dial it back just a little bit. The other thing that will really help you is to give yourself some boundaries. The first boundary is find that inspiration piece. So say your inspiration piece is a really big Warhol lithograph reproduction from allposters.com and say it's going to be above your sofa, let's just say it's the one with all the flowers, right? It has these flowers and they have like five different colors. Well, you can only use those five colors throughout your space. So use an inspiration piece as a limitation for the room in terms of the colors, even if all the colors are loud. If they work together in that war hall, if you're loving them in that moment, then you're going to love them when they're sprinkled around the room and they're going to feel cohesive because they all have a relationship back to that inspiration piece. The other thing that you can do when you're mixing your leopard print with your palm trees with your geometric patterns is to follow my rule where all the patterns are of a different scale. So you have one extra large pattern, one large pattern, one small pattern, one medium pattern, and then one extra small pattern. You don't want to have all large patterns because that will feel overwhelming and it will be really hard to absorb that look. But you don't want to have all tiny patterns because it will feel really frenetic and cluttered and chaotic. So having each pattern not only relate back to the color palette of the inspiration piece, but also be of a different size than the other patterns will immediately give you a boundary there and help give you that sophisticated look. So by following some rules and reining yourself in, by getting those two words, getting that inspiration piece, and following my pattern rule, I think you're going to get there, Jonathan. I think that you are going to have a sophisticated look Even if it's loud. Because I know that I do. I feel so excited that I have been able to achieve that in my home. Even if I did need that editing eye of Rachel Madden's. So there we go. Hopefully that helped. And know that you're not alone. I'm a little bit tacky too. So guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode and this four-part series on feng shui as much as I did. Till next time, guys. Bye. Bye.